All right. You guys ready? I yep. was as ready as I'll ever be. All right. I'm on, I'm on energy drink tonight. Okay. Trying to stay awake. You got this. Believe in you. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about an African horror movie made in Senegal and distributed in the U.S. by Shudder. It's Saloom. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Man, I started watching this film, and I wasn't taking any notes. I was into it. I was just wanting to absorb it and watch it. And then by the end, I thought, I better be writing some shit down. Because I got thoughts. <laughs> this movie will make you think. Whatever it is you think, it'll definitely be something by the end of it. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Feeling similar to Ben, but instead of writing stuff down, I was doing that for the most of it. I needed to look stuff up. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I recommend looking up. We'll get there. But... Like, yeah. what the fuck the entity is supposed to be? I don't know if we're ever going to get that, but... Yeah, I, I I had the same reaction the first time I watched it, because I watched this one uh, back during October, and this was one of my, like, oh, we're going to have to come back around to this one. And our guest, English educator, Emmanuel Lipscomb. Welcome back, Emmanuel. Hello, glad to be here. I have things to say about this movie also. Did you like it? I did like it, but also I'm very dumb, so I like a lot of things. I've kind of never taken a fucking 180 on a movie like as suddenly as I have this movie. The first like 45 minutes is some of the most like gripping, engaging, tension creating like cinema I've ever seen. The first 45 minutes I am at the like edge of my seat, can't look away. And then the fucking moment it's like, oh no, curses. I mean, it's like, Two movies in a trench. My interest, like, yeah, I just drained. Like, it just, like, I was a balloon that just got like popped open, and like all my interest just drained out. I'm like, oh, it's just a reverse quiet place now. Yeah, I think, I think the first time I watched it, I had a, a somewhat similar experience, which is like I was, I was really into it, and then there's a lot of like it suddenly gets real. Uh, goes from a very, very human, very stylish kind of action thriller to some extent to being a sort of supernatural thing and um i think the first time i watched it i was like yeah i don't i don't get it i don't get what they're doing i don't know what's happening i'm not not terribly happy about this this change and then uh, i kind of sat with it for a while and then i came back to it this time and i was like all right now i like this better this time because like i think knowing what was happening and knowing where it was going i was like i was more more ready for it you know, I'd looked up some things after watching it the first time, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I get what's kind of going on here. All right, you might have to explain some of that context, because my hot take coming out of the gate is uh, this did not need to be a horror film. Like, yeah. what it was from the setup, just be that. Yeah. Like, this yeah. is a movie where the setup is a trio of mercenaries whose morality is kept in question to the point, to the degree where they might be monsters or heroes and the movie doesn't make it clear, like needing to stop and get supplies while transporting a cartel member 
in this villa where everyone has secrets and certain people are starting to know and there's a police captain and it's this tense game of cat and mouse and every character is a ticking time bomb. There's infighting, secrets. At any time, this whole like peaceful villa situation could just like, like explode and any one of them could like, you know, just break out into violence. I think that was more interesting than curses. I mean, I, I personally feel like this felt like the third or fifth like movie in a series about these characters. And like that would have been awesome. Like I would love to see more yeah, movies like, about these characters. But unfortunately, by the end of it, there aren't many of them left. <laughs> yeah, like I, I could have gone for like an entire franchise of hyenas movies. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Like these quasi mystical roaming heroic mercenary trio who just have great chemistry and bounce off each other fantastically. Like, I don't think this was the best movie to tell with these characters. I don't know. I'm like Emmanuel, what did you like? What did you like? So I think you've already talked about it. like this style for one. I mean how so much of it it's just oozing charisma at times, right? What is it? Shaka and his gloves, which turn out to be a plot point, but are also just an interesting detail. Rafa and just carrying this big cleaver, but also wearing Versace's. Parts of it are just so endearing. And I can understand how it feels whiplash, right? Where you yeah. you think you're getting one movie, and then it's like also evil spirits, some sort of, I don't know, promise of whatever also child soldiers all like there's a lot going on here but i, I don't know I, it felt at times like uh watching cowboy bebop or something where I'm, I'm so fascinated by the greater world here i've got questions but they're mostly questions of curiosity they're not necessarily plot holes i don't know about you but i have 15 different terms of you know central african history i need to look up so yeah yeah I'm, I'm, oh I'm yeah curious for you guys like watching it everybody like who was who your favorite character in this story fucking nailed it with a cowboy bebop by the way well definitely the musician who turns out to only exist to justify why there's noise canceling headphones but he yeah, also <laughs> drake in their country so you know you can't write him off completely <laughs> i um, love that ralph was ralph was so cool like he just love ralph yeah thoroughly but also he has the vulnerability where he can apologize and like i i like him i I really like Chaka. Yeah. Chaka is, I mean, very obviously the main character. But, like, for me, watching it the first time, I was really into Minwi because he's the mystical healer character of the party. Yeah. He's yes. walking, you know, the streets of Guinea-Bissau, blowing, you know, dust in people's face to make them pass out and or die, unclear. Um, Amazing intro. Yeah. Fantastic. This movie is expertly directed. The like, point at which fantastic like, directing. You get a shot of them climbing the stairs in Guinea Bissau, and you see like you see Rafa's uh, Versace shoes, and then you see that Bidwit is not wearing any shoes. He's just walking right. barefoot through this war zone. I was like, wow, interesting detail. But also leaving the calling cards on all of the different bodies that they walk yeah. by. So cool. Yeah, the design of these characters, like when I just saw the first card of the movie, because I didn't know anything about the movie. I just looked right. it up on, on Shuttered. The card that has like the three of them, like it already sold me because the design was so on point. And I was like, damn, I need to, I, I need a whole mood board based on these character designs. Like I need a whole reference Pinterest 
based on these designs because the designs are so fucking cool like you already care about them especially when you talk about the contrast with the versace shoes and the barefoot and you know it's so good i will want a whole anime just following them on like different missions they went on absolutely yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting thinking about it about like you were comparing this to to cowboy bebop and i remember like watching cowboy bebop the first time the stuff about Vicious was the stuff that, like, really stood out to me. It's like, oh, it's, like, this big story about his past and all the stuff that's really important to Spike. Like, that's the best thing. And then rewatching it the second time and being like, actually, it's these little, like, one-off episodes where they, like, tell these whole stories in them and you get right, but they're self-contained. at the, the yeah. wider universe. Those are what's good. And that's sort of, this is, you know, this is the Vicious arc of these characters. yeah. Yeah, but to hear Alatella, like they have a whole legend, and I'm sure part of it they've got yeah. their marketing with the Calvin cards, and so they have intentionally built this story up. But I'm, I like you, I want to talk about wanna... these other episodes. Yeah, also I have a mystic in your party. Maybe you've encountered other better horror things. Also, to what you said, Jeremy, like those one-off stories are good because they were the most human, and that's when I think the movie was at its best when it was just like these humans in this very tense situation when it's these mercenaries on the run with a police captain and someone also on the run who knows who they are and the innkeeper who very clearly has all sorts of dark secrets going on and everyone's keeping secrets and the mercenaries could fall into infighting at any moment like them around the dinner table both dinners is so much more tense than anything involving like fly monsters right yeah in, even though you have this really really solid design for these characters that make them stand out they don't rely on that you know it's not main character design syndrome it's they each of them has a thing they have a personality and it's not based on powers either like i mean we is a little bit more power based but he also has a personality and you know his actions define his character more than his cool white dreadlocks and you know i think he would be as strong without the cool white dreadlocks but you know the, the cool white dreadlocks still fucking kill just wouldn't be it, as fun to look at they are yeah. very cool i want to be upfront about that he doesn't need the dreadlocks but i'm really glad they're there yeah but immediately i was like holy shit it looks amazing yeah so should i get into the recap here yeah let's do it anyway. so yes um, because let's get to the ending before we just talked about I get into why I'm mad at this ending. Okay. So I, I don't know if this is a short straw. I really enjoyed this movie. It was a lot to kind of retell. So I'm going to do my best. Salon, directed by Jean Luc Erbano, written by Jean Luc Erbano and Pamela Dio, starring Jan Gael, Evelyn Eile Juan, Roger Sala, Mentor Ba, Bruno Henry. Among others, we start in the year of 2003 in Guinea-Bissau, where a violent campaign against drug lords has resulted in copious bloodshed. There was a coup d'etat, they explain it in the beginning, in a very, very stylish, fast-paced, like, bits of captions, which actually does the movie good. The dead and dying of this particular tableau, three figures in rain parkas pick their way upstairs through a tenement complex. These are Bongi's hyenas. They are our protagonists. We have Chaka, the haunted yet resourceful leader, Rafa, the tank, and Minwi, the support caster and healer. 
Together, their guns are for hire and their fashion is fire, and they are here to bring Felix, who is a drug lord, uh, to safety from the uh, Guinea Bissau military campaign that's cracking down on the drug lords. Apparently, Hydra has paid them enormous bricks of gold to get Felix out of Guinea Bissau and take him to the car. They escape this military pursuit in an adorable little Cessna amidst a lot of racist verbal abuse of Felix. They don't like him, but they have been paid enormous bricks of gold. And they're going to get into Dakar no matter what. Where are they? Alas, their plane is damaged. And they have to make an emergency landing in the Sen Senegalese National Reserve saloon. It is mysterious and spooky. But they can find fuel and provisions for their plane, which apparently took a knife to the tank. A knife. Someone stabbed this tank with a knife. It's, it's crazy to me. Anyway, so they bury... They, I really they like that you said that like it's the clue. Like it's the answer to clue. It is. With the knife in the engine tank. There's a plane and the fuel tank. This knife didn't stab itself. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very crafty knife. So they do their emergency landing. They bury the Hydra gold and head to a local camp slash commune known as the Baobab. Chaka claims to have connections there, but can't elaborate because he's too busy being haunted and terrified of water. So terrified that Minui has to use his medicine to like make Chaka pass out. So at Baobab, they meet the camp uh, leader named Omar who takes them in as long as they pay him in labor. They settle in, assuming aliases and keeping an eye on the disgruntled Felix. At the dinner, we meet Awa, who is deaf and mute and immediately onto the hyena boys, and she signs to them that she will out them if they don't let her join them. Chaka, Rafa, and Minui know how to sign, but nobody else does, so it's a pretty fun little secret conversation that makes everybody annoyed. Uh, that's what they get for not learning how to sign. You gotta love, like, hardcore mercenaries that also all know sign language. They all know sign language. They know multiple languages because they're speaking French, but they also speak Spanish with Felix. Yeah. Well, we're told that the Wolof is terrible. There's some Wolof These in guys there. are amazing. Yeah. Resumes are I want so many stories of them. Seriously, yeah. the fuck? They deserve a whole franchise. So also at dinner, we have Omar's assistant, whose name I can't remember. There is a cop and there is a um, the assistant. One of them is named Salomane and one of them is named Solimane. Yes. I can't remember which one. Oh, is. so they're both Solomon. Okay. I was wondering about that because I'm like, the spelling changed because it's reading the, the subtitles. So, yeah, he's a, there's Omar's assistant, and then there's the artist couple that are here because, you know, they're taking a wilderness sabbatical or something. And Dakar police captain, uh, Suleiman. But between Suleiman and Awa, the Baobab is looking less than ideal, but Chaka insists that they have to stay here until they get their fuel and patch kit. The next day, everybody in the camp pulls lots to determine what their communal tasks will be. I mean, we is on delivery duty to Loka Village. Rafa and Awa go look at birds. Suleiman and Felix go tend to the mangrove fields. And Omar and Shaka ride horses into the big cities to shoot po poachers in the ass with BB guns. I want more about this. Like, their whole campaign to just shoot poachers in the ass. I fucking love it. Well, it's also like an only side quest in an RPG. Like, you just go do this important and yet also kind of trivial task. Yeah. It's, so, it's it's interesting. So as everybody's doing their side quests in this very special episode, Awa reveals that she wants to join the hyenas because she regards them as folk heroes. Suleiman reveals that he knows exactly what is going on with Felix and the hyenas, and he threatens Felix to help him apprehend the hyenas in return for asylum. Uh, it also I mean, reveals that he has a whole, like... Group of guys waiting outside the village somewhere to get yeah, them. Yeah, he's got backup. Even a horror movie cop will find out how useful cops are in horror movies. <laughs> um, yeah. 
So Minwi, meanwhile, is at the Dialis village, and he finds it sus as hell, and there's spooky ghosts running around, and dudes with their ears cauterized, and big mention of a quote-unquote agreement with Omar, and, you know, you don't have to be a mystical, like, wisdom-based character to know that this shit is whack. So back at camp, everybody reconvenes, the hyena boys are like, we need to leave, because, and then they gesture at everything. Chaka continues, continues to insist that they stay, but binds at Gad's Awa so she doesn't out them. Now, dinner again things become tense as chaka begins to recount his trauma apparently omar was a military officer officer who abused chaka and tried to force him to become a child soldier chaka removes his gloves to show his r brand which marks him as a uh, part of this child soldier i i can't really say program because that it's slavery yeah it's it's just child slavery yeah and i i do want to say they are explicit in this movie that there is sexual assault involved yes in this right as well yes Defi- he says he defiled him every night yeah and yet this fucking ending yeah so yeah which we'll get to not only was the corporal abusing him but also you know he's forcing him to become one of these child soldiers you know and and keeping him in shackles so there's a lot of there's a lot of really really rough imagery here and there's a lot of really serious shit a lot more serious than you'd think from a a movie where i'm like oh and one's a caster one's a one's a tank but but it works chaka then kills the corporal aka omar with a gun that chaka stole from him when he escaped back when he was a kid tim many times yes he there's a lot of shooting and just everything goes nuts. Now, Rafa and Minwi now realize that the whole reason that they are here is because Chaka sabotaged their plane in order to enact this revenge. Suleiman tries to arrest them and calls for backup, but it turns out that Chaka bribed the cops to fuck off. So it's all on them, baby. He gave the cops um, one brick of gold and they abandoned their commanding officer in the middle of the desert. Which, what are their plans there? You can't, like, make change for one another. Like... I don't know, but those bricks of gold were fucking cartoon-sized. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they managed to get that plane off the ground, and those things were so fucking big. It's like cupcakes in school. Like, don't bring it unless you have enough in the class for everyone in the class. You better have, like, one gold brick for every policeman there. He gave them, I believe, just the one gold brick. But, I mean, I don't know. Gold is soft. Maybe they cut it up with, like, a knife or something. I don't know how gold works. I Y'all, I... I really think of all the things like that really made me suspend my disbelief. Police taking bribes was not one of them. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Even when it was like a giant bar of gold that was the size of like a literal piece of masonry. If this movie had told me that these police had abandoned their post, having been offered just a giant Kit Kat bar, I would have believed it. <laughs> yeah, for real. At least that you can break off and make for everyone. So as this hell breaks loose, literal hell breaks loose, because now night becomes day and humanoid swarms of insects and embers descend on the camp. Felix suddenly starts hemorrhaging blood and dies from something. Everyone gathers in a nearby cabin trying to figure out what the hell happened to Felix. Omar's lucky immediately goes nuts and reveals that they are haunted by the spirits of the Binoak, according to the curse of Sirabana. The important thing is that if you hear them, you will die. So you can't hear them. Opposite quiet place, as Ben said. So Omar is keeping them at bay somehow, but now that he's dead, the contracts are null and void, the spirits are here to fuck everyone up. Meanwhile, Awa frees herself. She is resilient against the spirits but we're being deaf, so she encounters Chalk out in the open as he goes to find everyone some construction headsets to cancel noise. The Walkman he is using to suppress the spirit noise is only so effective. 
he almost gets got, but Awa shoots it and saves him because apparently you can shoot a swarm. Shockingly stabbable horde of fly demon people. No, yeah. I, I do want to point this out because I actually caught this coming back around the second time. See, they talk about this in the dialogue. Yes. Yeah, is they are not they're not just swarms, they are people. Right. Yeah, there's people inside there, yeah. Yeah, they are the people that they saw earlier from the village that have their ears shut and everything. Like they are working for the evil spirits. So they have these like swarms of spirit demony things that go around them and they look like weird little clouds of flies, but they do very effectively uh hatchet them several times throughout the well, the thing. I can't handle a single fly on me, let alone this like <laughs> pig pin ass swarm like i <laughs> cannot <laughs> they work on silent hill like enemy logic where yes it is like a nightmarish like demon out of your like worst fears but also it is susceptible to blunt force trauma well, I mean, that whole section, right, has the stealth feeling. There's even a chest-high wall that Suleiman is, like, crouching beneath yeah. as one walks by. Like, it, it is very video game logic. I yeah. love Rafa hiding behind the skinniest palm tree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it works for him. But that's another thing, is that these guys are, when they're maneuvering, it's a lot more military, and they're not, like, hiding most of the time. Like, they're just kind of slicing the pie or whatever. I don't know what that means. I do enjoy but... their sort of, like, tactical assault on these these creatures, because it's yeah. like, oh, they're just dudes. You can sneak up on them. And, like, when it's Rafa and Chaga working together, they're like, all right, you go, and then I'll hit them from behind. And then at one point, there's just, uh, just Suleiman, and like Rafa just sort of shoves him out in the street and the thing goes after him. So Rafa hits it from behind. Yeah. Well, and the rules here for these creatures is that if you hear them, you will die. And the people inside or, you know, whatever mass there is inside of the, the swarm is solid and tangible. There's like a human thing in there. So if you, as long as you stab it in the right spot, you know. Yeah, um, the, the humans inside the swarms are separate from the actual demons or spirits or whatever it are, which are yeah, sort of all all around them. Sort of like a demon aura. Yeah. I Not that it's a major point, but I do think the humans inside of them could have been more clear visually. Yeah, I think that's fair. yeah. Anyway, so one of the the swarm zombies gets shot, or the swarm warriors. I don't know exactly what to call them. The swarm warriors. Warriors. That's good. Uh, come out to play. So now they all got to get the fuel and the resin, and get to the chopper. I mean, plane and leave. No, you want to say it in the voice. Well, the chopper. They, yeah, yeah. And then, but now they split up. They have to split the party because the fuel and stuff is in the village. So. Suleiman, Omar's Lucky, Rafa, and Shaka drive to the village on ATVs, while the artist couple, Awa and Minwi, hold down the fort. The village is all fucked. They find the supplies, but also they find a ton of Diola's children, which is the village, Diola's, branded to become soldiers. And they're branded the same way that Chaka was with the R. Chaka frees them and he lets them tear Omar's Lucky apart after the Omar's Lucky admits to being an accomplice to their involvement in whatever diabolical diabolical method omar was using to keep the entity at bay what is the entity well we'll never know because dude gets torn apart too quickly now it obviously doesn't happen but was anyone else real worried that when they let those kids out and the kids none of them had headphones on that they were all just going to immediately just start hearing the death noise and just die immediately 
Absolutely. Yeah. Again, yeah, a it's bit. a video game. This is your escort mission. Like, why yeah. would you run into the cloud of demons? Could you not cover your ears? Yeah. I yeah. mean, they don't say why that isn't the case. Presumably, there's, you know, some sort of protection or they're deaf or, or something and they, you know, are able to get through there. Um, but to this movie's credit, they do say that they are apparently like the currency was Omar was using yes. to keep the demons placated. So, I figured the demons had an interest in, you know, whatever he wanted with the children. Like, it just wasn't interest, interested in just purely killing them. You're not going to destroy uh, anything. Either yeah. some sort of human sacrifice system or they are being, you know, used as soldiers like these, you know, guys that are currently running around in swarms of flies. Yeah, there was yeah, like something about a big old tree too. Like there was a big evil tree in the middle of the of the village that they were like, "Well, that's fucked up," and they didn't really talk about it. Have you ever seen a tree like that, Emily? Sometimes you just see a tree like that, and you're like, "Oh, I know, that's no, fucked I've seen up." Them. That tree's definitely evil. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen fucked up trees. I've seen evil trees, and I know that you should <laughs> cut them down because that's how fucking Hexus gets out, and they'll take over all of the the leveler. And then you're just, you're done. You saw what happened on fucking Unemtadium planet. Anyway, so uh, Omar's lackey is torn apart by the children and Shock is like, yeah, get him. But we don't know what it, what the entity is. I honestly assumed it was the big thing that destroys the earth and cabin in the woods. Okay. Um, definitely not, but that's where my dumb, dumb brain went. I went to Smoke Monster from Lost. Ooh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I Currently think... on my, in season six of my Lost rewatch. And <laughs> last season is it's a lot better knowing what it is. Well, I don't know. I've never seen Lost, but I got it spoiled. I'm sorry. All right. I'm would, gonna... would it be funny for me to pretend like I've never actually heard of that show? Just be like, what lost? is this now? I'm lost. I'm waiting to meet like the teenager who's never met Lost. And then I'm just going to have a really cliche like, I'm old moment. I've been having that. My whole life. But okay, so Doc and Rafa just make it out. Suleiman gets got by the spirits as well as the other Suleiman. If your name's Suleiman in this movie, it's not, you're sorry. You're not making it back to the main village. Yeah, yeah. Suleiman failed. But anyway, so meanwhile, back at camp, the spirits have consumed the artist couple. Awa's immune, however, because she can't hear. Meanway is using his talents to trap the spirits within him so the others can escape. But before they do, uh, Chaka and Rafa embrace him, and he signs to them to kill him before the spirits can. Stricken, but loyal to their friend, they do, and it's fucking sad. But, you know, pour one out for Meanly, because he was a real one. So with all this, they have enough time to get to the boat and sail back to the plane. Now, Chaka still has his phobia, and he struggles to get in the water, and he doesn't have Meanly's medicine, but still manages to get in there. But as they cross the delta, he starts really hearing those spirits, despite the headphones. And he is overcome with the visions of his trauma. And we are returned to this scene at the very beginning of the movie, which is a very like 2001 Space Odyssey kind of arrangement with the moon and the sun and the horizon. But instead of the earth and a space baby, it's a traumatized kid with a gun in one hand and a shackle in the other trying to cross a big river. It's actually pretty poignant. But we see that in this escape from his past, he is dragged down into the river by the spirits of the dead. Not sure if this is literal, but literal spirits of the dead do try to drag him down from the boat with Awa and Rafa. Well, they grab and... Rafa first, and he gets up out of you know in the boat, even though he's terrified, to shoot what appears to be uh, his his previous tormentor doing yes. doing crazy demon voice, trying to 
pull Rafa out of the boat. Yeah, so the, the dead zombified yeah. Omar pulls him down into the water, and despite Rafa and Awa's efforts, they cannot save him, and he is gone. The pallid light fades to the light of living day as Rafa and Awa sail through a final cloud of unquiet spirits, closing the film as it opened with Awa's voice, who she doesn't speak, but she does do narration, and she says that revenge is like a river whose bottom we only reach when we drown. And that's the movie, Ben. Why I'm not a particular fan of this ending is that this movie, I guess, especially with that final narration and, well, A, the spirit's like grabbing Rafa and then like Chaka falling in and it's got big energy of just the demon energy being like, yep, fucking meant to do that. I only grabbed Rafa so you'd fall in, Chaka. This was definitely the plan. So I like the, I like the winging it energy, but for real, yeah. I find it really hard to go along with it was wrong to get revenge on the man who is trafficking children. I don't think that's, I mean. You think it's a moral judgment? That wasn't how it struck me. I struck it as this is the price of her. Like, it's right. If yeah, you, what do you, you you go for revenge, dig two graves, right? It's the, the consequences of seeking life of retribution are that you are also possibly the consequence would be your own death not that it's a moral judgment that you shouldn't do it but just be prepared to die yourself yeah Yeah. and i think that all works in a version where like oh he kills the guy at the dinner and now they're fucked and they're surrounded by police and there's gunfire like i don't know it's like there's just that level of like oh all these deaths are because chaka had to kill But, hey, it's not like it's, like, ooh, a retired child trafficker and, like, he's not preventing anything. Like, this guy is actively trafficking dozens of children. Like, objectively heroic to fucking get rid of this guy and save those kids. So, like... No doubt. Yeah. Like, I feel like that kind of undercuts the vengeance is bad. But also just that, again, I think it would have been more effective if it had stayed kind of human or... I think the movie that really nailed the tone that I think would have benefited this is like Tigers Are Not Afraid, yeah. which was like mystic, which was like a little more realism in its magical right. realism. Yeah. Well, the magic has consistent. But yeah. like, if I just had more of a sense of like Shaka inflicted violence and now he's going to lose his own life or the life of his friends or innocent people are going to get caught in the crossfire, I feel like it would all feel, I would buy it more or I would feel it more if it stayed human and went like, well, now everyone's going to die because you didn't know he was holding back a bunch of demons. I'm like, yeah, well, demon demons aside, this vengeance plan worked out great. Well, I mean, it didn't. And, was because... good, and he saved a bunch of kids. He well, did... if the demons hadn't shown up, then it would have worked great. I want to say, I, I think like my interpretation coming out of this and the first time I felt like I didn't really know what to make of the ending and watching it this time, I think the way that this curse is, I don't know, personified or or dealt with in this story feels to me very much like the idea of, of curses in Japanese horror, where it's not so much like a thing that's tied to a dude or a demon necessarily. This like entity is like the collective suffering of the people who have been here of like, you know, this place is fucked up because a whole bunch of people got killed here. And so, like, it's always going to be fucked up. Like, yeah. you know, he, he kills this obviously bad guy, this guy who absolutely deserved to die. But, like, 
he can't get away. And that's like the same thing I think they're showing with him as a, a kid is that, you know, even as he's escaping this place, like it's pulling him back, like he's still connected yeah. to it. And it may be, we don't know how long, or I'm not sure how long, 10, 15, 20 years between these two timelines. But like it, he still had this pull back to here all this time. And, you know, he he does kill Omar, but he still can't get away. Like, yeah. you know, he's still so tied to this trauma. And this place is still so fucked up and cursed for what's happened here that, like, you know, it's still going to claim him whether or not he is you know, successfully killed the guy that he blames for all of his trauma, and, and rightfully so. You know what? I will give you that interpretation of the ending, especially in his trauma over water, which he doesn't really overcome. He doesn't have a big moment of needing to go into open water and thus symbolically overcoming his trauma. He just, he has to be picked up in a boat. Like, he doesn't overcome the trauma. It's he still does, with him right to the end. He does stand up in the boat to save his friend like to help his friend he is able to overcome it enough to get to his feet and shoot at this thing which is way more like he couldn't get on the boat while awake previously yeah that's true yeah so, like, like he had to pass out on that boat in order to like actually just survive the journey you know just with his buddies all my thoughts are sort of like all in a ball right now about it but there's a lot of cultural context here uh there's a lot going on with the characters this is just the tip of an iceberg of a story that I think could have been articulated a little bit more elegantly, like in terms of how they express the spirits, you know, the unquiet dead and how they relate that to the trauma of the people living here in this land. When we talked about Nope, we talked about stories that are about like racial trauma and that you know there's a lot of stories out there that are about racial trauma and now we see these movies like we see a movie in africa and you know as a as a like western viewer of it i feel like there's especially in a movie like this it starts out with like a battle with a bunch of dead people you know we get this very brutal side of the country that you know automatically is about trauma and you know like i'm not, not talking about all of africa but in this case the the coup that occurred in um Guinea Bissau. Guinea Bissau. Yeah. Guinea Bissau. Yeah. So which again, this movie, you know, this movie could have been vague, but it chose to ground itself in very specific conflicts. Yeah. That are so, real. That because there's so much war and strife that is discussed at like the get-go of this movie, I don't know if I'm projecting that on the whole situation with the unquiet dead being the result of some kind of racial trauma, because they talk about the the curse. And the people who once lived in Saloum and all that kind of stuff, which I looked up and it's not very, there's not a lot of information about that curse. And I don't know if that's just something that was made up for the film or if it comes from the greater culture. That's something that I missed. And so there's something there. And you also have this very complex story about a bunch of guys who are mercenaries who are working against the military to save a drug lord who was also responsible for killing a lot of people and you know you, you could tell that they have no respect for this drug lord but they are taking the money and in this case it's a means to an end for Chaka to get back to Baobab. God, mercenaries with a code of honor is a trope I'm here for 
all day, every day. Yeah, but we don't know, like, for sure. Because you see them, like, putting their cards on civilians or something. But then later, Chaka says that they don't kill civilians. So I feel like there's a lot of information that's presented, but it's not really presented in a way that I think is is super clear. And I think that's where I get hung up. He says they were already dead. So I interpreted that as them just taking credit for a massacre that already happened and just like just to raise their reputation and yeah and so we've been talking about this idea of this underlying trauma just sort of you know these children have been secreted away and chaka in his own past has this trauma i think what's kind of interesting about chaka is when you first see him he seems really cool and on top of things and super capable and he is we don't really realize that there's some trauma there until he gets to the water. And even mm-hmm. that isn't clear. It's just like, why do you need to knock him out? And then there, I think there's a throwaway line of like, oh, he still can't cross water or something like that. But Baobab itself, before you realize how ominous things are, seems almost like this little like, you know, communal paradise. Like it's a neat little hotel where like, yeah, you can stay here. You just got to, you know, pick your chores up and you want to have a beer that's fine you just got to clean the bar but it is much like chaka kind of hiding this trauma hiding this thing underneath the surface that you don't really realize and i think that's kind of interesting uh, the other thing that i kept coming back to is it seems to me that there were two quotes about revenge there's the one that is they keep saying they say it a couple different times in the movie but it starts out here they say revenge is like a river whose currents direct your actions and then they follow that by saying we say revenge is a river whose bottom you only reach when you drown. And it I couldn't I it was difficult for me to discern if those were two parts of the same quote or yeah. two different ideas regarding revenge. Like this is their idea about revenge. And it's, you know, it leads you down this path. It's a current you can't ignore. But ours is just, you know, you get to revenge when you yourself succumb to it. I and that's the thing that I just kept thinking about. Yeah. Now, I feel like that through all of this information that we're getting, and especially like the river, the whole river imagery and the the river idea, I think is really cool. And I think that makes sense to me. It's just, I feel like the spirits of the unquiet dead or whatever they are kind of come out of left field. Like there's not a lot that would prepare us in this movie. Like this, your, your comment about two movies in a trench coat is pretty on target because you know you're seeing this guy who's like you know the guy in a trench coat and then he opens it up and then there's like a weird zombie thriller in there it's such a small part of the movie and it doesn't feel as like strongly connected and i think you know that's where it loses it for me i still can kind of put it together and i still think it's a cool idea i just don't think that the the execution was clear enough for me to really like like, it it's enough of a dark disturbing twist for this guy to be a child soldier yeah. raising like right. a human trafficker, you don't need to throw he found the entity on top of it. I will say this is going to sound kind of like a knock on the movie, but it's quite the opposite in that this is the rare horror movie that I wish was a little bit longer. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of horror movies that I'm like, you, you just could have been, it could have been 84 minutes. It could have been 88 right. minutes. It could have been 90 minutes. This one is. 84 minutes it is in and out and it does a lot of shit in that 84 minutes it could have been a you know an even hundred like i i agree like because once it shifts to horror it moves really fast i think but i think before that like there's like like an hour 50 like thriller in there 
but well, I we think a prequel miniseries that's showing yeah. that they teach Witcher style jobs like this all the time. This is just their thing. Oh yeah, yeah. like I want to see them use the they have Papa Minwi, right? And explain how he joined up with them. Yeah, and like you know, he's got his methods and things like that. And I think that it'd be cool to have some occult or like some spiritual elements there. I think that would be really interesting if they did a magical realism thing where this, you know, it's not literal. And I think that's one of those yeah, things. Yeah, that's ugh, magic realism. That's, oh, yeah. I like, just, I wish so hard it had leaned harder into the magic real, into magic realism. Yeah. Although the, the day, the night becoming day and having like the weird soft light of the like spirit day or whatever, the spirit realm really was cool. Like I, I hadn't yeah. seen that before. Yes. Agreed. And the way that they leaned into that, I thought was really cool. And how they like when they sailed out of that zone, the color returned. You know, there was some cool stuff like the crazy soldiers. I think there's also something to do like there's there is something of a, an allegory with child soldiers and sacrifice to evil. These kids are sa- like literally like these kids are sacrificed, you know, and they're treated like fodder. They are currency. I mean, Chaka describes the shack he was kept in, like, explicitly as, like, a cattle pen. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean. It's made of, like, rough sheet metal, and it got super hot during the day. Freezing at night. Yeah. I I want to go back a little bit to, to something uh, that, that I think both Emily and Emmanuel have brought up a little bit. And that, like, you know, there's, there's plenty of things to be said about the plot and whether or not some of the horror stuff works. But I think one of the things that seems... It feels almost revolutionary to me about this movie is the like caring and compassionate masculinity of these action heroes. These are dudes who like specifically fucking Rafa runs around with a fucking cleaver. Like this is not a like an elegant killer. He's not a dude who, you know, he's not wearing gloves. He's a dude that's, you know, running around fucking people up. But like not only do they not make a big deal about either of them being like, oh midnight he does fucking magic magic is scary and this is bullshit or something like that but like they all they all believe in each other they all care about each other and that moment after like chaka shoots omar and like he says everything that's happened to him and like rafa who to this point has been sort of like a goofy lunkhead in the group like goes you know forehead to forehead with him like hey man i'm sorry i'm sorry for what happened to you (laughs) like that's fucked up yeah yeah, like, the most the, the, the most intimacy, they hold each other and yeah. the visceral tears. Like it, you know, I've seen I, like, plenty of movies where somebody like stoically sacrifices themselves. I love the three-way like head bump they do. Yeah. And yeah. God and when Chaka and Rafa, when they shoot Minwe, like the word that comes to mind when I think about that scene is tender. Like yes. there's this ten like it's not a badass sacrifice. It's a it's an emotion like it's a tender moment of goodbye yeah and these guys are really really good scene fucked up about it you know yeah. they're crying and they're sobbing you know yeah, they're not I, just I think like a sip of her lip that that compassion that they have for each other is, is something that i don't feel like i see in action movies ever like I think of a horror movie i've seen it in yeah, yeah. like they can be friends they can care about each other they can be bros but like that, like moment of just being like, "Hey, man, that thing that fucked up that happened, he was fucked up, and you didn't deserve it," is like something that feels revolutionary in this case. And I think then adding to that, like having a 
male action hero lead who explicitly has experienced sexual trauma also feels un like very unusual, very revolutionary to me because I mean that's that's not unusual at all with female leads and you know suspenses or action horrors or things like that. But like for a a masculine male character to explicitly have gone through that is very unusual. Well, they don't tie it also directly to his badassery, right? It is it is pure trauma. It should yeah. not have happened. It is a thing that he has not gotten over. And they just sort of leave it at that. It's not he becomes this force of, you know, revenge and anger. It's just it's still that he hasn't gotten over. He's still dealing with it. And, you know, they're initially pissed off about how he manipulated and sabotaged the mission and everything like that. But then once they fight, figure it out, they're like, damn. You know, and even though like night has become day and there's a fucking ton of monsters outside, they still have the time to be like, let's talk about this more important thing is each other, you know, and you don't you don't see that kind of communication, even like with characters like the, I, I feel like a lot of horror movies are so preoccupied with being funny or quirky these days that you don't see that kind of genuine. Yeah, just any love, of that. Like these guys yeah. love each other. That's yeah. uh... That's a thing you don't see much in these sort of horror or these sort of action movies, I feel like. Yeah, like, there's, there's no romance. question. You have people who have romance and then you have like the stoic, like, I'll love you forever. Or you have like a very special episode where they talk it out. You know, you don't have this vulnerability. There is more true affection shown between these characters in an hour 25 movie than in all three Expendables films. Yeah, and that's another thing about this movie is that it's so stylish at the beginning, where it, it like introduces the characters like they're super actually stylish. Heroes. Yeah, well, they're wearing like ghillie suits at the beginning, and you still get the style, right? You still see the gloves, you still see the shoes, you oh. still see the locks, even though everything else is covered up. You can tell them apart. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just the three of them working in unison. They're like, fuck, they're like Metal Gear Solid bosses when they drop in in that opening scene. And when they're fighting the zombie things, whenever they're they're fighting the like swarmiers or whatever, like they're like, again, they are moving as a unit. Whole fucking prequel franchise full of action shit. Six seasons of the yeah, give it to me. Just make a comic. Like, fucking like again, the hyenas anime, like Studio Bones. <laughs> what you up to? Yeah, trigger even as long as they figure out how to draw back black people. But they, they yeah, and... oof. Oof. Hey, Japan. Dragon Ball finally figured it out. Good for you, Dragon Ball. Eventually, it took them too many years. Like, here, well, anyway. They've had Namekians the whole season. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I get the coding, but at the end of the day, Piccolo and Martian Manhunter are both green no matter what actors you get. <laughs> we don't have to we don't have to do substitutions, guys. You know, it's okay to have actual black people. No, but I don't mean to be this visible of all of Japan. There's a lot of really fucking awesome stuff. And, you know, mixed race. We, we all know that you are not dismissive of all of Japan. Oh, thank you. I I just I have a lot of th feelings about not, these things. That's the quote. Not to be dismissive of all of Japan. <laughs> I have a lot of horrified, But seriously. That's like, our new slogan. Gosh, I'm just going to pat myself on the back for being so woke. But seriously. I feel like when I first saw the these characters, I thought that this might have been based on like a, a comic that had been published, like a Bon Dessine 
published comic, this, especially the fact that it was in French and stuff like that. And you have a lot, there's a lot of people working that are publishing out of like France and Spain and Italy that are people of mixed race, people from Cote d'Ivoire and, and like North Africa and stuff like that. And I think it would make a fantastic comic if they haven't already done it. Like think of the, you know, the cinematic quality of this movie and the, the stylishness of it. I feel like you could have a ton of these big full color watercolor bondesine books about the hyenas if there isn't already in fact you guys all talk i'm gonna check on on stuart ang right now well i just <laughs> want to see how rafa becomes okay. rafa and how minwi becomes minwi right we, yeah even the gap between chaka's trauma and becoming chakla the hyena there's a lot there, right? Like, the, yeah. like we, do you become this badass, the face of the group? Like, that's really fascinating. Where's, like, their one-shot comic book origin stories? Yes. Do it yesterday. Where did Rafa get his Versace's? Yeah. I know they must be emotionally important the way all articles of clothing are in prequels. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, like, even with, you know, I, I said... Well, I was looking forward to a sequel and they don't really leave room for that at the end. But I feel like even even the sequel where, you know, you've got Rafa training Awa to be the the new, you know, version of this. I mean, I would watch that, too. Like, oh, yeah, I, I did really great. think it was going to be like, OK, Minu, Minui is going to die. Chaka and Rafa are going to survive. And then Awa was going to be the new third hyena. Or like, I definitely thought Rafa. that. And they just Where continue it was going. afterlife. They're just undead mercenaries. Oh, but and they come back. And it's like a drive angry situation where they drive angry out of out of hell or whatever. They die I, and then they drop into hell and take out the devil. And you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> I like this idea of them becoming like almost like BPRD. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my god. Yes. I'm into it. I'm very into it. It was like um, supernatural, heroic supernatural soldiers for hire. And also in Africa. And like, tell us we're stories about Africa. You know? Yes. And we don't all have yes. to be about war. You know, it's, it's, it's war is important story. Child soldiers support story to tell. But like, there's a lot. It's a fucking continent. Look, sometimes there can be a chapter where, you know, they help a little girl prepare for the talent show. Oh my god. <laughs> and they do a whole dance number at the end and it's just delightful. And they're all in like costumes and stuff. Say, the hyenas are her backup dancers. Yeah, hell like, yeah. I need the like hyenas. I need the the like the movie where it's the hyenas, but it's also three men and a baby. <laughs> I was I thinking mean, with the, the talent show and everything, I was like, oh, I think you're describing the Baymax Disney Plus show. Or it's like Psycho Gorman. That sounds delightful. <laughs> I should watch that. Yeah, everybody should watch the Baymax Disney Plus show. That's that's my recommendation. The episodes are like five minutes a piece, and they're fantastic. I oh, that's I uh, that's bite sized fun. Yeah, Baymax uh, helps a girl figure out her period. So you know, it's I will go on record. Uh, Big Hero Six is a solid is a very solid Disney animated movie, and I think it's definitely underrated. Pride will be some. I, I would not disagree. Glad we all like Big Hero 6. Um, so do we think this movie's feminist? I think it's feminist. I, I think it's not not yeah. feminist. You know, well, I do, like Awa does have some cool qualities. She could definitely be like have more agency and not be like 
bound in gags, but she is bound in gags because they're like, yeah, but then she the gets out of it threat. all on her own. That's true. That's true. So, you know, I'm going to say it's not not feminist, but like it's hard to have a movie well, about three dudes be feminist. I was thinking about this because I was like, I don't know, is it is it feminist or are they okay? Is it all right that like Chaka beats up the only like major woman in this story and ties her up? And I was like, well, he treats her exactly the same way he would a guy in the same situation, I think. So, That's like, true. You know, she's going to blow his cover and he really wants to kill this guy who he's been dreaming about killing for almost his entire life at this point. Chaka doesn't see gender. Yeah. And honestly, Chaka is helping her by not like exposing her to the gunfire. Although it's it's fucking violent, horrible, but also she's not like she's definitely not afraid of them because she immediately goes out and is like, you know, I know you guys she are wants like to the- join them. Yeah. And she's like, I will out you and I will tell everybody who you are if you don't let me join you. I think it's not so much that this movie is feminist or explicitly feminist. Like I said, what I think this movie really is, is it's very much lacking in or almost anti toxic masculinity. Yes. Yeah. Like we like we just talked about like that bond between the hyenas. Like even Rafa, I feel like so many movies, like that character would be like, you know, your your showy toxic guy gardener, machismo, or you just like say some like really bad things to Awa, but like you know, he goes up to the line but he never really crosses that line and you know, with the hyenas especially, I think it's just a very not toxic depiction of masculinity. Yeah. Which is interesting for a story about three dudes who are mercenaries that kill people for I love job. it. Oh, they're such good characters. Yeah, and I think it's also definitely suggested that like while they do things that are of questionable morality for money, they then put that money back into helping people. Right. Uh, so like I also yeah. took it as like, yes, they are mercenaries, but they also only take jobs they think are also morally right or at least not super wrong like just getting like you know escorting a drug dealer out of a country i was gonna say i i think like awa alludes to that right the the jobs that they're taking are things regarding like you know revolution and you know political regime changes like they're getting involved in things that while maybe not purely moral, they, they seem to be tied to, you know, doing the right thing in some convoluted sense of the word. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell what is going on exactly with the uh, the Felix situation because they're they're really racist, <laughs> that guy. And really, and I think, you know, that has more to do with him being a drug lord. You know, it's not... I took that as like, a, you know, sometimes you just got to take a job for the money. Sometimes yeah. you just got to take that work for yeah, I mean, gig. he is... He is explicitly Mexican, and they call him a variety of racist names. They're mostly just dumb. Like I, Rafa definitely calls him Taco Face at one point. And I was like, right. just, I what? I should. That's not how that works. That's but just yeah. some, some real mediocre racism right there. I mean, um, yes. I like the idea of Rafa trying to be racist but being bad at it. He's too nice to be racist. Yeah, I mean, usually at this point we'd be asking about like racial representation and social justice but like this movie's got that down i mean partially because it is an african made movie with african actors but it's also like interestingly pan-african like it takes place across several countries they're from several different countries um it acknowledges all these places separately so it's 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 sort of interesting in that regard and sort of like it just flies above our expectations for that stuff and because salum is a reserve 
there's also this whole narrative about them like preserving that land and how they're there to like keep poachers away and all this kind of stuff and I don't think that it is a coincidence that the only uh, white men we see in this movie are poachers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that they have to shoot um, in the ass with a BB gun. See, I immediately thought of Jordan Peele, how they're like no good white people and get out. It's just, yep. <laughs> oh, there go out. the poachers. Nope. There go the poachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about disability? One of the things they liked about this is that they just sort of take in kind that she's definitely like, okay, well, we'll start fighting. That's fine. Then I was trying to think of another mm-hmm. movie. Other than The Quiet Place, I can't think of another horror movie where I've seen signing. And even in The Quiet Place, it's more of a plot device mm-hmm. as opposed to just a fact about a character. Yeah, I mean, there's also Hush, which is very specifically right. about a girl who is deaf. And it's like, how does this deaf girl do deal with a slasher? But yeah, I, I think it's much more rare for it to be like a, a trait of a character within a larger story rather than yeah, I... this is a story about how somebody survives because they are deaf. Right. Yeah, I think both the prominence of it, yet the casualness with which it's treated. I mean, I am not deaf. I don't know sign language. So, you know, the eternal caveat that I may always be talking out of my ass. But I think with Awa, I think honestly, I think we have some of the best, you know, disabled representation that we've ever gotten on this podcast. Yeah, it, it does also have the same issue. Almost any depiction of deaf people in movies does which is their ability to read lips is magical people oh, can yeah. be facing magical away from rip, them, looking the other reading. direction muttering under their breath and they still know exactly what they said yeah i mean can we forgive that though for the sake of storytelling yeah i mean i, I think in this case it's fine i mean that's kind of up there with like just the concept of people being knocked unconscious it's yeah. like it sure is narratively convenient you can knock someone out and there are no consequences a way to just make people be not awake for a temporary amount of time with without zero consequences. consequence instead of every time being like oh my god you've done so much brain damage like this concussion <laughs> <laughs> They can't do an action movie now. Are you kidding? They need to get straight to a neurologist. Yeah, I, I think that along with the way that it, it deals with trauma is incredibly interesting. Like the think where the ending works for me is that I, I don't think that it's saying don't get revenge. Revenge isn't necessarily good revenge. I don't think it's making a sweeping statement about revenge so much as it's saying like, yeah, you can get revenge. Well, you can't escape the trauma. Like, the things that happen, you still happen, no matter what you do. Revenge Um, is not going to make the trauma go away. Yeah. Yeah, Which I I think is is a really interesting thing to say in what is essentially an action horror movie. Yeah, I I do think that there is very valid criticism of how that interacts with ghosts, with with swarm (laughs) warriors. You know, I feel like the messaging can be definitely clearer. That said, for, for me personally, it didn't take me out of it. I just felt less like engaged with the battle with the ghosts, but what a fun, what a fun movie to watch. We Do we yeah. want to talk about, I mean, I don't think we need to talk much about any of the other. There's no real points. LGBT representation, except that in it, in that they're not afraid of like there's There's no like weird gay panic between male action heroes, which is a thing that I think happens a lot with male action heroes. It's like, they're forced to share a room because there aren't enough rooms there. So like I mean, we and Rafa are staying together and there's no moment of like, you know, don't lay too close to me or there better be two beds or whatever. It's just like, yeah. cool, fine. Come um, on, bro. Come cuddle. Yeah, which is like a real 
low bar to cross. But like, you know, <laughs> like we said, these are characters that are affectionate and loving toward each other without there having to be like a no homo insertion in there anywhere, which is uh, a nice change of pace. It was nice to see them embrace the, you know what? Maybe homo and maybe's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Prometheus didn't make it over that bar. Maybe the real homo was the friends we made along the way. In which case, yes, homo. <laughs> yes, please, homo. That was a long train to I don't even fucking know where I went. Listen, Ooh. it's this is this is real. This is some real shit. So I guess it comes down to would we recommend this to people? Should people go check this movie out? Yeah. As harsh as I have been to this movie tonight, yes, it still comes down. It still does enough unique. It's still so well shot and directed and still is gripping enough that I would recommend it as much as I've had Mike fetches. I think absolutely. There's so much cool here and so much that could be really neat. I just even fan fiction at this point. Like I would love to just see someone writing in this space with these characters. Absolutely. I agree. And you can watch this twice in the amount it takes to watch one Avatar movie. Oh, yeah, fuck. What's on AO3? Maybe AO3? Maybe fanfic can fill in the holes we need. Uh, Oof. Maybe. Okay, yeah, that. I heard heard it as soon as I said AO3 can fill our hole. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Don't cut it. Keep it. Cut that. Keep that. Yeah. I mean, you can watch this uh, two to three times the amount of time it takes you to watch either Avatar movie with. And it's by far better than this. So I, I, I honestly haven't seen the second one, but I'm sure it's just as bad. Um, I mean, well, it's a sequel to a movie whose first installment I didn't like. Is it that crazy for me to not want to see the sequel to a series I'm already not a fan of? Well, and Minwee's locks are, aren't CGI. They're real. They belong to the actor, as we've seen. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's no children voiced by Sigourney Weaver. Oh, you what? Oh, yeah, Sigourney Weaver voices a teen- a teenager in Avatar 2. I also enjoy watching the Unreal demo reels when those come out, but those aren't movies either. <laughs> so, Whenever a new Unreal <laughs> engine launches, seeing seeing Marcus Phoenix push around a meat cube that really jiggles, I'm like, wow, that's good. That's good stuff you're doing there. But I don't know how it doesn't have to be three hours and I don't have to go to a theater to see it, James Cameron. Sorry. I don't know why we're talking about I enjoyed the tech demo. I was so distracted by looking up Selim on on AO3. I didn't find anything. (laughs) Oh. I mean, I feel like I have to. I'll check DeviantArt. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to. (laughs) Bear. How about Elfwood? I don't think this movie, I think Elfwood is. On that note. Is that your recommendation for this uh, this movie, Emily? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. What is your recommendation? Absolutely not. I will not. Okay. So there's a a book called, I think think it's been recommended before, but fuck it. It's called Black Leopard Red Wolf. And it is a really really interesting, weird, weird, violent, magic, weird queer story about two i think they're mercenaries it's it's interesting so check that out and yeah i think i can i do another one because you talked about cowboy bebop and i'm if if we're gonna talk about cowboy bebop please go watch trigon but not the new one yes the new one spoils all of the original trigon in the first episode so like just watch the first one i really think my cowboy bebop thing is that rafa looks like jet but (laughs) 
Well, their their designs are so good. Yeah, their silhouettes. Yeah. I mean, like I'm looking at the whole idea of the design silhouette, and those guys have really solid silhouette, really solid color blocking. Like even when they're all wearing the parkas, they still have like visual. The, the like we talked about with the gloves and the dreads and everything. I feel like you can teach a class about design based on these three characters. They're so fucking good. Yeah. And, you know, strong design, wild design, very fashionable. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And it's it's a very anime thing. But I normally one of the things that, that turns me off about war stories is that failure of the silhouette test. It's here's all these people who wear the same uniform. So they all have the same silhouette. And then it's usually very functional. So there's usually not personality or flair or style. But these like very distinctive, almost high fashion military outfits, like fucking hell yeah, all day. Like I love these designs. Like, also, the, if this the, is what fucking characters would look like in Call of Duty, I would play that single player. Call of Duty should let you wear designer shoes. Yes. yes. <laughs> now that's fucking DLC. Emmanuel, what do you recommend? Yes. So in looking at places that just have something fucked up going on with them, Aaron Benson, Justin Moorhead, Resolution. It's a movie they made for like $20,000. This wild horror movie, but it has a stealth sequel called The Endless. And the two of them are really interesting and really explore places that you probably shouldn't have returned to. But now it's too late. Awesome. Sounds good. Ben, what about yourself? What do you got? All right. Guess who actually remembered to make a real recommendation this episode? You and me. Uh, yeah. uh, I am going to dig back into the Vertigo Comics archives and recommend the 25-issue run of Unknown Soldier by Joshua Dysart and Alberto Ponticelli. Good pull. Yeah. Very, Thank you. Which very is... tied to this as well. Yes, very relevant to themes of war and child soldiers in Africa. Yes. So, you know, uh, really just absolute top-notch comic book storytelling. Yeah. So I had one thing I wanted to recommend just after seeing this movie and another thing that recently has has sort of popped up in in my head. But my, my first recommendation for this is if you like this movie, and especially if you like the first half of this movie and you haven't seen City of God, that's I an haven't. incredible movie. Yeah, it is Brazilian rather than African, but it still has the same Not sort of like City of God. It's good. I should do so. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And this, we talked about how stylish this movie is. That movie is incredibly stylish. It's got cinematography coming out the wazoo. Like it's a beautifully well-made movie about horrible gritty things you know, about growing up in rio and the, the gang culture there and and everything but like it's it's a really good movie that's that's everybody that's it for us emmanuel before Wait. we oh sorry did you i just wanted to say one thing because i was okay. waiting to see if you guys would recommend it but there's also mentor boss instagram which i want to <laughs> recommend mentor ba two 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 five that's three twos and a five mentor ba like the term to mentor and ba yeah, he's he is the actor who plays Midnight, yes. and he is seemingly just really that cool in real life. <laughs> yeah, I, I threw his Instagram in the chat while we were talking here because I happened to stumble across <laughs> it. That's that's yeah, a cool yeah, dude. He seems super fucking cool. Yeah, I don't know if they wrote the character around him or if he just never stopped method acting or. 
the most likely explanation. He's just the, he is the actual most interesting man in the world. Seems like it. All right. With uh, with that out of the way, Emmanuel, you want to let people know where they can find you and get a hold of you online? Sure. I'm on Twitter talking about education stuff and books and whatnot at elipscom2. Fantastic. As for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all their books and you can click the pre-order link to pre-order L. Campbell wins their weekend Ben's debut middle school grade novel from Scholastic. We're we're super excited about it. You should go pre-order it now because pre-orders really matter, which is the thing you find out when you make books and comics they matter intensely and uh, finally you can find me on twitter and instagram at jrome58 and on my website at jeremywhitley.com and do keep an eye on that because hopefully i'll have some stuff to announce coming real soon so may may even be announced by the time this comes up but we'll see yeah and of course the podcast is at progressively horrified on our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on twitter at prog horror pod we would love to hear from you. We would also love for you to rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it and help us find new listeners, help them find us. We're all a big web of humanity here. Just, you know, make sure they make sure they find us and we find them. And thanks again to Emmanuel for joining us. This is a great chat. I really enjoyed talking to you about this. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Emmanuel. This is awesome. Always happy yes, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks, y'all. And thanks, as always, to Emily and Ben for joining me. And thanks to all of you for joining us. And until next time, Stay horrified.